Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you let us know? Send an email to toledocalvary.org. We would love to hear what God is doing in your life today. Well, we want to say welcome and are so glad that you are with us here. Thanks for joining us, whether you're watching online or on television. So glad that you are here. I want to say welcome to those of you who are in the room as well. And thanks for being here today. And especially welcome those of you that are new. I know many of you have been joining us kind of somehow through a screen over these last few weeks. And it is great to have you with us. Just a, a quick message. We've been having a Thursday night service. And uh, I know many of us have appreciated that kind of a special time together, and that's kind of the first services our weekend. Next weekend, on October 15th, we will not have our Thursday night service. We uh, had a prior commitment before uh, we started the service, kind of pre-COVID, to our facilities for an event for the denomination, the Assemblies of God that we're a part of. And uh, so because of that, we're not going to be able to have our regular Thursday night service next week, but you can still register for Sunday services on the 18th, and then we'll be back to the Thursday nights on October uh, 22nd. So no service next week, but we'll be back on the 22nd and uh, regular Sundays, though, next weekend, and hope you'll join us for those. The other thing, if you're not aware of this, every Tuesday night at 7 o'clock, we do kind of a live stream broadcast, and at the same time, that's available on demand at the Toledo Calvary Facebook or YouTube pages. And over the course of the next three weeks, what we're going to focus on on those Tuesday nights is some time of both teaching and then prayer for our nation. We are in a historic time. We're ramping up to the election that's coming up here in just a few weeks, and we as a church want to come together. Those are going to be really special times, so I hope you'll join us online Tuesdays at 7, or you can get them on demand on our Facebook or YouTube pages, and uh, looking forward to those times that we're going to pray and uh, look at God's Word Together, We started a new series last week called I Am. We're going to talk about who Jesus is, and we're going to hear it from his own words seven times in the Gospel of John, at least twice in the book of Revelation. Jesus makes these statements where he says, I am, and then he tells us something very significant about himself in this crazy season. We want to focus and look to Jesus. Last week, we saw that he is the bread of life. We're going to look at another I am statement today. We've got a lot of ground to cover, so if you have your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 9. John chapter 9, we're going to jump right in and take a look at this story here. John chapter 9, beginning with verse 1, it says this, as Jesus went along, now, now remember that because we're going to come back to this. this. This is important, actually really important, where it says as Jesus went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus said, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. And then Jesus goes on to say, as long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no man can work while I am in the world. And here's your I am statement. I am the light of the world. Jesus says, I am, speaking of himself, he says, I am the light of the world. Probably a statement that maybe you've heard somewhere before. You've heard that Jesus is the light of the world. It's kind of a familiar statement. It's one that he made. It's the one we're going to focus on today because in this story, Jesus does more than just say it. He puts action 
to his words. He lives it. And when we see this, it's going to show us what it means for Jesus to be the light of the world. For us to understand this, we've got to understand the setup. Like, why did he say, I am the light of the world? To do that, I want to go back at the verses we just looked at and kind of unpack them, give you a little context, see what's happening there, and realize why this statement is so important. So go back to verse 1. John chapter 9, verse 1, it says, as he went along... He saw a man blind from birth as he went along. We've got to ask the question, where's he going? Where's he coming from? Why was this a relevant detail? Well, starting in John chapter 7 and all through chapter 8, it tells us a story of Jesus being at one of the great Jewish feasts or festivals, depending on what version of the Bible you're reading. And there were, there were multiple festivals in the Jewish calendar, three that were the key ones that kind of revolved around agriculture. And if you were a Jewish male in Israel, it was expected that you would go to Jerusalem for these three festivals every year. This one was the Feast of Tabernacles. Sometimes it's called Booths. Sometimes you'll hear it called Sukkoth. You'll hear it called a lot of different things. And he went along after he's been at the Feast of Tabernacles. File that away, because that's really important to this story. So as he went along, after he left the Feast of Tabernacles, he saw a man blind from birth. Now, this is not the first time that we're going to hear about Jesus interacting with someone who was blind. In fact, multiple times you'll get stories in the Gospels of people who could not see, and because of an encounter with Jesus, their sight is restored. And the reality is, maybe Jesus had even seen this man before. Like this path that he's going in Jerusalem, he's probably been on before. This path that he's on, there are these people that are there. This man is probably a beggar. If you are blind in that day and time, you don't have any other kind of fallback. There's no welfare system. You, you rely on other people's mercy. You have probably resorted to begging. And Jesus sees this man who is blind from birth. Now, that's kind of a big deal because it wasn't that he just lost his sight. It wasn't that he kind of slowly went blind or that he had some kind of accident. He had never seen. So there really is nothing to restore because there was nothing there before. And if you think of that from a scientific perspective, that's really hopeless. Like, this guy's got no hope. It's not like my sight might come back. This this dude has never seen anything. And it seems to be a hopeless situation. Can I encourage you with something? There is no such thing as a hopeless situation. There is no such thing as a hopeless situation. Here's a spoiler alert. If you're not familiar with this story and and maybe you hadn't figured it out, there's about to be a miracle here, (laughs) right? This blind guy is gonna have his sight restored because of an encounter he's gonna have with Jesus. And the reality is his sight is not restored, it's recreated, Like, like it comes out of nowhere. And if you were to look at it in the natural, you would clearly say this is a hopeless situation. There is no such thing as a hopeless situation. Now, some people say, well, look, Chad, you don't know, you don't know the deal. Like my situation, it's, it's hopeless. Look, I know you're talking about this. I, I don't need a restorative miracle in my life. I need God to create something that seems really, really broken. Like you don't know my job or my body or my financial situation, or my marriage, or my family, or my past, or my future, 
or what's going on in my life. You don't know what's going on. And if I told you, if we sat down, I guarantee you, you would feel the same hopelessness that I feel. And the reality is, based on what we're about to see in God's word, there is no such thing as a hopeless situation. Aren't you glad for that? Now, look, the reality is, if you feel like you're in a hopeless situation, I know that these can sound like empty words. I know that if you're, if you're kind of focused in on this, these may sound like words that are empty, but let me encourage you with this. There is no such thing as a hopeless situation, and here's what I want you to know. Two things that you should do if you feel like yours is hopeless. One, believe that God can change the situation, and then two, let him do it his way. <laughs> I think sometimes the reason we get stuck in these hopeless situations is because we don't want to trust him to deal with it in the way that he wants to deal with it. File that away as we read through this story. John chapter 9, verse 2. Let's go back to the text. It says that Jesus' disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? It's really interesting. They're, they're, they're walking along. They see this guy. Jesus kind of hones in on him. And the disciples go, hey, Jesus, teacher, Rabbi, what happened to this dude? Like, who sinned? Was it him or his parents? It's interesting. There was, a, there was a theory or a thought in that day and time that if someone had something tragic or bad happen to them, and especially like in an instance where there's this man who's born blind, the expectation is that somewhere, somewhere in his life or in their life, there's some kind of sin, and this is the, the justification, this is the ramification, this is the consequence of what he did. And it's interesting because to the disciples, this blind beggar that Jesus sees, he, he's a theological question to them, right? He's, he's like a case study to them. They're not asking this out of compassion. They're like, hey, Jesus, help us to unravel this mystery. They saw him as a riddle to be solved and not as a person who was suffering. And the truth is, they're missing the point here. As they think of him as just, hey, how can we figure this out? How can we solve this mystery with this guy? They're missing that Jesus wants them to see so much more. Jesus has a different perspective in this situation. He's not a theological quandary. He is a person who needs something from Jesus. So here's my question for you. How do you see other people? Like when you see other people and what's going on in their lives, maybe it's when they're experiencing misery or, or maybe it's not. Maybe it's somebody like you or maybe it's somebody who's different than you. But when you see other people, how do you view them? Because I think too often than not, I, I try to look at people and figure something out or I have a stereotypical idea about them or I try to put them in some kind of category instead of saying, Jesus, how do you want me to see them? See, the disciples looked at this guy and they were trying to unravel, like, well, where did his sickness come from? What kind of sin was there? Like, what's the backstory on this guy? And Jesus wasn't so concerned about the backstory. He was concerned about what might happen here. Here's, here's a question for you. Are you more interested in revealing their history or redeeming their present? Like, when you see somebody, are you more interested in trying to unpack you know, what'd they do or what happened to them or how'd they mess up or whatever that might be? Or are you willing to have God work through your life to help redeem them in the present and where they are? Like, do you view others with curiosity or with condemnation or with compassion? Like, probably one of those three comes into play. If, if you look at other people and you ask, well, why are they doing this? Or why are they like that? 
And you have kind of a, a tone of frustration, and there's probably some curiosity there that may move into condemnation where you start looking at people and go, well, they're just that kind of person. Like the disciples had already concluded that the reason that this guy was blind the way he was was because of some kind of sin somewhere. They, they were already kind of judging him or condemning him. But Jesus looked at him and saw him with compassion. When you look at other people in your life, maybe those you don't even know, Maybe when you look at an individual, or maybe even for some of us, when we look at larger groups of people, do we look at them with curiosity where we're trying to figure them out? Do we look at them with condemnation? Or are we willing to allow the compassion of God to work in our lives? Honestly, compassion makes all the difference. You know, I'm, I'm blessed to know a lot of people. I'm blessed to have a lot of interactions, and I think I've got quite a few good friends. But let me show you a picture of my best friend, this is Samson the dog. This is my best friend. I don't know if you noticed, he's wearing a little Steelers jacket there, Pittsburgh Steelers jacket. Because he's, you don't pray for him. He's got his little jacket on there. That was last winter. Samson is 13 years old, and I just, I love this dog. Um, he's, he's, I've talked about him before. Right now, though, Samson's having a really hard time. At 13, he's got arthritis, he's got bad hips, and they think that there's something out with one of his discs, there's something that's wrong, and so like his back legs, he's having a hard time, and if he gets in the wrong spot where it gets slippery or he can't move in the right way, he just, he just kind of plops and he can't move. And so lately, he's, he's not only um, had some incidences where he can't really get upstairs well, but he's got like a, it plays a head game with him. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? <laughs> Right, so when he gets to stairs, and like he'll he'll go out on our back deck, and he has to go down the stairs on either side, like to go outside. And when he gets down the stairs, fine. But when he has to come back up, you can tell it's a head game for him. And so what he does is he stands at the the base of these. It's just three stairs going up, just boom, 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 right. And he stands at the base of them though, and he just yips. And to be quite honest, it's irritating. Like it's annoying. It's it's not a bark. It's this irritating yip. And then he wants one of us, and, and oftentimes it's, you know, at least I tell myself it's me he's asking for. I don't know if he cares, but I think it is. I, I want you to come out here and help me. And it's interesting because what, I, what I've slowly figured out is he knows that if he tries to do this on his own and he falls, he's going to get stuck there. And he needs somebody there that he, he knows will help him if he falls and he needs to get up. And so he doesn't even want to attempt it until he knows that there's somebody there alongside of him. For a while, I was kind of like, what is the matter with this dog? And to the point, it was just kind of, I was curious, but it, but it was irritating me. And then to be honest, I started to condemn him. I thought he was kind of a diva. He was being ridiculous. He needed to just get over himself, stop this bad habit. And the other night I realized he knows his limits. He's got these weaknesses. He can't do this without me. And what was curiosity or condemnation suddenly became compassion for my best friend. It like changed my heart when I viewed him in a different way. And I thought to myself, would I be willing to do that with people? People who aren't like me, people who are different from me, people who are struggling. 
that before I try to figure out their story or before I try to put them in a category, would I be willing to say, Jesus, will you help me to have the same compassion for them that you do so that then I can see them in the way that you do and then I can help them with the love that you have? Does that make sense? Lord, help me to see people in that way. So the disciples go, Jesus, what's the deal with this guy? Was it his parents or him that sinned? And then watch what he says. John chapter nine, verse three, Jesus gives them response. He says, neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world, Jesus says. Who sinned? They asked, neither one of them sinned, Jesus says. This isn't about his sin. This isn't about his parents' sin. He says, look, you're, you're asking the wrong question. Like you, need, you need to kind of move your mind past that condemnation or that curiosity. You need to see things differently. And what's interesting when you read this, if you're not kind of careful how you read it, it sounds like neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. It almost, it almost feels like when you read it, the reason that God made him blind was so that God could, could work something out in his life. It almost sounds like he's like a part of a cruel project, doesn't it? Like if you're not careful how you read this, it gives us that feeling. The reality is that that's, I, I think, too negative a way to think about God. It's too negative a way to think about the guy who's born blind. It, it's too simple. It's maybe even too cruel. I think we've got to look at this a little bit differently. Here's the reality. Guess what? We live in a fallen world, don't we? We live in a world that because of sin, sometimes things just happen. We look for reasons. We try to understand it. And at some point I have to come to terms with, because I live in a fallen world, sometimes things just happen. Like I've interacted twice in the last couple of weeks with people who have been driving down the road and had a deer jump out in front of them. Anybody ever had that happen? Like twice. And fortunately, they're okay. Their vehicles weren't, but they're okay. And you can ask the question, why, why did those deer jump up? Did God send them so that people in the body shop would have work? Is that what happened? Like, like is this so that they were, because they were driving too fast? Is this, is this so they'll have a cool story to tell? Or maybe, maybe the reason is we live in a fallen sinful world and sometimes deer jump out in front of moving objects. Sometimes people get sick. Sometimes there's natural disasters. Sometimes accidents happen. In this case, this man was born blind. Jesus says, you're focusing on the wrong thing here. Go back to this verse. He says, neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Here's something interesting about the Greek New Testament. When you read the Greek scriptures, there's no real punctuation there. You don't necessarily see the periods or the commas or, or you know, all those things that we put in there to give it nuance. Some of that is something that's just kind of assumed within the language. So you can translate this a little bit differently. One commentator that I read said, there's a, there's a twist to this that if you look at the pattern in other places in scripture, it fits how this could be translated that right here where there's a comma, you could put a period. And it could say, neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. This happened so that the works of God might be displayed. As long as today we must do the works of him who sent me. What Jesus is saying here to them, I believe, is 
Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but so that the works of God might be displayed in his life, we must do the work of him who sent me while it is still day. Jesus is saying, look, in order for God's work to be done, we need to do it. Like this guy's blind and I, I'm not, I don't know, neither, we don't know about the sin deal, but here's what I know, that God wants to do something powerful in his life and he wants to do it through us, Jesus says. Now here's the reality, God wants to do his work. Do you believe that? Like he wants to do his work in our lives. He comes to those who need him. And the reality is from that passage that God does his work through us. When God does his work, he does it through us. It's up to us to shine his light. Jesus makes it very clear that we are to be the ones who reflect his light to the world. He says, I am the light of the world. He also says this, Matthew chapter five, verse 14. He says, you are the light of the world. Is that a contradiction? When he says, I am the light of the world, and then he points a finger at you and says, you are the light of the world, he says, a town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Jesus says, we are the light of the world. So in the same way that he is the light of the world, he's saying to you and he's saying to me that we are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. We are supposed to show God's light to the world around us. And you would say, but Chad, we are living in a really dark place. <laughs> and we're living in a really dark time. We're living in difficult days. And sometimes we get overwhelmed with the darkness around us. And maybe it's good for us to get a little bit of a heart check when we think about darkness. Henry Blackaby has written this. He says, if, however, you notice the world around you becoming darker and darker. Anybody ever notice that? If you notice the world around you becoming darker and darker, don't blame the darkness. It's simply doing what darkness does. The only remedy for darkness is light. If the world is becoming darker, the problem is not with the darkness. The problem is with the light. Jesus said his disciples should be the light of the world. If we're living in a day and time, a world and culture that's progressively getting darker, maybe the issue isn't the darkness. Maybe what we need is some more light. Maybe it's time for us as the people of God to kind of amp up the wattage, to turn up the illumination, to shine our lights brighter. Here's one way that we can. Philippians chapter 2 verse 14 tells us, do everything without grumbling or arguing. Man, I hate that verse. Anybody else? <laughs> do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. How, how are you going to turn your light up? So many times it's just by our attitude. It's by our actions. It's the words we say. It's what we do. Look, we're living in a day and time when there's so much that divides us. And I get it. Like we're wrestling with a lot. So many of us, even followers of Jesus, are torn in so many different directions. Politics, pandemics, attitudes, thoughts, concerns, fears, all those different things. I get it. This is a tough time. And I'll be honest, as a pastor, I'm starting to be concerned about how it affects us as a church because it can, it can scatter us in so many different directions. Can we be unified in something? I think this is really important. Let us determine to be the light of the world, pointing people to the light of the world. Let us determine that we're going to be the light of the world, 
And we're pointing people to the light of the world, (laughs) the light of the world. How do you do that? Well, I think it's important that we reflect who Jesus is to the world around us. We've got some friends who have the cutest little two-year-old girl, and she is, for whatever reason, obsessed with the moon. When it gets later in the day, when she's near a window, if she's outside, we were with them not too long ago, and she was outside, and she immediately just starts looking everywhere and going, moon, moon, moon. She's trying to find it. When she finds it, she gets all excited. She points at it. There's something about the moon that just, she's looking at it. I think because she she sees the light that comes off of it. There's something that's so significant to her about it. And the reality is, does the moon produce its own light? No, where does the light that you see coming from the moon come from? Comes from the sun. What you see off the moon is just just a reflection of the sun that comes off the moon. Look, we are the light of the world, but we don't produce our own light. We're just a reflection of the sun. When he's at work in our lives, when we live lives like Jesus, when we, when we live in that Philippians 2 way that we just talked about, when we put others first, when we humble ourselves like Jesus did, when we say, I'm not going to grumble, I'm not going to argue, and I'm going to live in this way, then we will show our light. And can I tell you, just like this little girl, the world is obsessed right now at looking at Christians. Whether you realize it or not, so many people are looking at the church with presuppositions, with ideas, with stereotypes that they think they know how Christians respond. And I think they'd be surprised with some of us if we just show them the light from the sun. Amen? So the reality is we we need to shine the light. That's the work that we've been called to do. Watch what happens next. John chapter 9, verse 6. After saying this, Jesus, weird miracle here. Jesus spit on the ground made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. Why did he do it that way? I don't know. I just know that if you want God to do something in your hopeless situation, you believe that he can do it, and then you let him do it his way. God's miracles do not always come in our packages, true? Sometimes he delivers them in ways that we do not expect. I see some neat things here, though. I think the fact that he spit on the ground and made some mud kind of reminds us of creation a little bit and how we're created out of the dust. Because this wasn't a restorative miracle. This was a creative miracle. And I don't know why he made the mud and put it on the man's eyes. But can you imagine if you're a guy who's been born blind and you can't see? That's also probably a lot of distance in your life. And that touch and the presence of the mud might even have been reassuring that something was happening in his life. I've made that walk in Jerusalem. It's down a pretty steep hill to get to the Pool of Siloam. He probably had somebody to help him. He probably was unsure along the way, and yet with every step wondering, what's about to happen? What's about to happen? What's gonna happen in my life? And then when he gets to that pool, and he washes his eyes, and then he goes home seeing There's a fascinating story, I'll let you read it in John chapter nine of just people going, what is happening here? And some of the religious leaders push back, like they don't like that Jesus did this. And so they're saying, like like they're calling Jesus a sinner. They're saying Jesus is doing bad things through this healing. And watch what this guy says to them. John chapter nine, verse 25, he replied, whether he's a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Can anybody else say that? 
Like I know in my life the work that Jesus has done. I know the work that he's done, the way he's changed me. I've seen it in your lives. I've seen it in other people's lives. I talked to somebody just this week who was like, look, I can tell you the difference that Jesus has made in my life. And so I think that's why when he, when he comes out here, he says, I am the light of the world. I want you to see that I'm something special. I can do something special in your life. Why would he use this imagery of light? John actually uses this a lot in this book, in the Gospel of John. Why light? Why is this what he says? Well, if you go back to John 1, you see a couple of things. One, because light brings life. Where there is light, there's life. If you, if you put a plant in a dark room, how's it gonna do? <laughs> it needs that light for life to come. And for some of you, you may feel stuck in your life right now. You feel like you're not growing, you're not moving, there's nothing happening. Maybe you need to look to the light of the world. John chapter one, verse four says that in him, in Jesus was life and that life was the light of all mankind. Life comes through him. We also see that light reveals what is in the darkness. Light reveals what is in the darkness. The reality is if you've maybe never been in our building, maybe you've only watched on a, on a screen, if you've not been in our building, we're, we're in a former movie theater, and when we bought this building about 10 years ago, we came in here and there was very little light ever in these rooms. And once you started turning up the light, you found all kinds of very interesting things. We had a whole collection of ABC, already been chewed gum, right? And just so many different things. And it was amazing when the light came on, we saw things that needed to be fixed, things that needed to be repaired. And let me just warn you, sometimes when the light comes, it brings in things in our lives. It shows up things in our hearts. I think it happens to every one of us, no matter how long we've been to church or served Jesus or followed him, that we're gonna see things that God wants to work on in our lives, not because he's mad or he's judgy, but because he loves us. Because he wants to work on our lives. John chapter one, verse five says, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Can I also tell you that light gives clarity to where we are? Light gives clarity to where we are. If you're in a place right now where you say, I just don't know what's going on in my life, what you may need is some light. Anybody thankful for the flashlight on their phone? Like, I use it on a daily basis for something. There's always something. It's like, oh, I need that. You know, I feel like I always need it because it helps me to see better where I am. I need light for where I am. That comes from the light of the world. John chapter one, verse nine, he's the true light that gives light to everyone. That's who was coming into the world. I also tell you that light illuminates the path ahead. Like, if you're in a place where you're looking for direction in your life, where you need some help, it is God and his word that brings light to us. Psalm 119.105 says, your word is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. Here's the whole deal. Light changes everything. Light changes everything. John chapter 1 verse 12 says, yet to all who did receive him, the light that John talks about, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. When you allow the light of Jesus to shine in your heart, it changes everything. Look, I know this because of what it's done in my life. And I know this because of what it's done in so many people's lives, people in this room with me right now, people that are watching this, people that are my friends, people that I've talked to, literally people around the world who when they allow Jesus to not just be 
the light of the world, but to the light in their world, that he comes in and he changes things. He changes our lives. Ephesians chapter five, verse eight says, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. Here's the thing. I, I am seeing so many people right now who are wrestling with some kind of darkness. Like, and you're looking to, to, to substitute something to bring that light into your life. Maybe you're looking to some kind of religious tradition or maybe you're looking to some kind of crazy celebration. You're looking to some substance or some person or some thing or some event. You're looking for something that's big and bright and bold, and you're trying to pull that into your life, but it's only a short-term fix. What you need is the light of the world that will give you all those things we just talked about, direction and purpose and presence and light and healing and life, all those things that he'll bring. Jesus changes everything. He is the light of the world. And if you are in a place where you don't feel like you have hope, and if you're in a place where you don't feel like you have direction you don't feel like you have purpose that's where jesus comes in and he brings his light if you will let him and can i tell you there are no other substitutes any other bulb you turn on is going to blow out at some point but he is the light of the world when he says it here in john chapter 9 when he says this that jesus is the light of the world when he says that in john chapter 9 it's not the first time that he says it when he says Jesus is the light of the world, he's already said it once before. He said it in John chapter 8. And that takes us back to John chapter 7. If you remember at the beginning, I told you to remember that we were going to talk about the Feast of Tabernacles. See, starting in John chapter 7 through John chapter 8, and then we believe even into John chapter 9, the story we read about the blind guy, they are in the midst of what's called the Feast of Tabernacles, one of these three pilgrimages of the Jewish people, Passover, Pentecost, Tabernacles. And this was the one that would be held kind of at the end of the, the fall, the autumn harvest of tree and vine fruits. Part of what they would do is they would build these temporary shelters out in the field so that they'd be able to kind of preserve the harvest. And so as they would celebrate this, they would build these, these little shelters that they would celebrate in. The men would build these, these temporary shelters on the top of roofs and they would sleep out in those places. And they would remember, and they would call them booths. That's why this is some kind called the, the festival of booths. They would remember how God supplied for them when they were out in the wilderness with a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. This festival usually takes place in September or October, so it coincided with other things that were going on in the natural world around them. In fact, um, Sukkoth or Tabernacles, however you wanna look at this, this festival typically happens sometime in September or October, and as we are going through this message, it happened just this past week. So like, this is so cool how God brings this right to our attention. Like people in the ancient world observed the length of days carefully. Like they would chart the solstices and the fall and, and spring equinoxes. So tabernacles would come in right at that same time. When the, when the shift was happening, as the days would get shorter and the nights would get longer, the Jewish ritual practice would recognize what they would call the dying of the sun. And this festival of tabernacles, one of the major components of it was a festival of light that they would celebrate and there were these ceremonies of light that would mark this passing of the season. Now, do you think Jesus knew that? So when he shows up, tabernacles would run seven, 
eight days, he shows up in John chapter seven at what's called the last and great day of the feast. That's when we believe he's still standing there in the temple courts, in the midst of this celebration after all these days, part of what they would do, there, there's a, the Jewish literature called the Mishnah, there's a whole chapter in it on the Feast of Tabernacles. And it would describe these ceremonies where there were these four large stands that would stand in what's called the, the, the court of women or where they would give their offerings. And in that spot, you had these four stands and there were 16 golden bowls, four bowls on each one of these stands. And they'd be filled with oil and inside would be some of the worn garments of the priests and they would use those as a wick. And at night, they would light these huge bowls that were up 75 feet in the air. The young priests would climb up a ladder and would go up and they would light, they would pour the oil in and they would light these wicks and then these bowls, 16 of them, would, would glow at night and you've got no outside lighting, right? There's no electricity, there's no outdoor lighting and you have the kind of the yellow limestone walls of Jerusalem and the light would bounce off of that and you could see it from all over the city in that time. And in that time, people would take torches and the choirs would sing and they would dance and it was a festival and it was nonstop. They called it the show of lights. It would go all night long and the Babylonian Talmud says, he who has not seen the rejoicing at the show has never seen rejoicing in his life. Was this a big party? You better believe it was. And so picture this with me. You got these 75 foot tall menorah that are glowing throughout the whole city. You have these people who are celebrating. You have all this idea that God has provided for them and God has cared for them. It's the last day of the feast. And all of a sudden, this guy stands up and he yells, I am the light of the world. See, this wasn't just something Jesus said in a vacuum. He said in the midst of this, more than your tradition and more than your celebration and more than all the other things you look to, he says, I am the one who will give you light and life. John chapter eight, verse 12, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world and whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Realize there's so much more packed in this verse than just those few words Jesus is saying to them, all your longing, all your searching, everything you're looking for, it is found here in me. And that's what we need to remember. Jesus is not just the light of the world. Jesus is the light of your world. Would you bow your heads and maybe close your eyes with me for just a moment? And in this moment, I want to invite you to just kind of consider your own life. And is Jesus the light of your world? Like, is he the one that you look to? Is he the place where you find your purpose and your meaning? Like all those things that we looked at, all those things we considered, especially even if you're, you're feeling like you're in a hopeless situation. Over and over again, scripture says, God, would you let your light shine on me? God, would you let your light come into my life? And in these next few moments, as the worship team leads this song, would you consider your life? Would you consider where you are? Would you say, God, let your light shine. Let there be light in my life. Lord, you know the places that need illuminated. You know the places where I need life and healing and your help. God, you know the places that seem hopeless. Father, would you let your light shine? God, in these next few moments, would the words of this song minister to our hearts? Father, would the truth of your word do something special in our lives?
Father, may we not be focused just on the hopeless situation or the things around us or the difficulties we have or what's happening in our world, but God, may we say, let your light shine in us. Jesus, let there be light in our lives, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.
this room or whether you're watching this on a screen somewhere, I want to lead us in a prayer. And maybe today you would say, Jesus, I, I just need your light to shine in my life. I've tried to do this on my own and I can't do it anymore. And I need your light in me today. If you know that he is your savior and your Lord, or if you'd say today, Jesus, I need to give my life to you. Can I ask you, would you just kind of out loud repeat this prayer and say it with me? Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus, for sending your son to die for my sin. I ask today that you'd forgive my sin and be my savior. I give my life to you, my risen Lord. Let your light shine in my light, light of the world, in Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, then I hope you'll, you'll see there in the comments or you can go out to our website and there's, there's more information you can find about that relationship with Jesus. Thanks so much for joining us for this service. God bless you. Go in his special favor and his wonderful peace.